Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to First um, Samuel chapter 18. We began uh, a couple of weeks ago the, a series on the life of David, and we talked a little bit about David's character. We talked a little bit about uh, last week, we talked about David and Goliath. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I want to back up a little bit and kind of give a timeline to some things that we've already talked about and, and kind of use that as a, a jumping off point for this evening. Um, the Bible says that, the, the, first of all, we don't have any clear-cut uh, years that certain things happened and stuff like that. We, uh, we have some, uh, some final years. There's a, there's a real clear-cut scripture on Solomon and uh, at what point in time he began the, the building of the temple. And so we kind of have to work backwards from there with some of the things that, uh, that the scripture says. Uh, we don't know exactly how long Saul reigned uh, as king of uh, Israel. We do know that it says that he was a young man, so we wouldn't expect him to be any older than about 30 years old when, uh, when he was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. Um, he's, uh, uh, he reigns for a couple of years, the Bible says, and his son Jonathan fights a great battle. Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, defeat 20 Philistines on their own uh, when the, the, the Philistine armies are encamped and, and uh, planning to come against Israel and so forth. And, uh, and so that would mean that uh, if Saul was about 30 or 32 at that time, then that means Jonathan's got to be 15 or 17 years old, somewhere in that, uh, uh, that range, that vicinity. So he's a young man as well, which might explain a little bit about why um, Jonathan's heart was knit with David. Because uh, we do know that Saul has reigned for about 25, maybe 27 years by the time that David is anointed to be uh, the next king in secret when uh, Samuel comes to his house and anoints him to be the next king. Uh, it's probably that same year or maybe the next year that he goes out against Goliath. And so that would make David somewhere around 15 to 17 years old. And that may be why Jonathan's heart was knit with him because uh, of uh, following the same pattern that, that he had followed himself as a warrior. Um, David, we do know a couple of things about David. We know that David, from the time that he was about 15 when he was anointed with oil, to uh, in secret to be the next king took him 15 years before he was uh, uh, finally installed as the king of Hebron and another few years after that when he was installed as the king of of all of Israel king of Judah as well Um, of that period of time that 15 years we know that he was on the run for eight years so the time that it tells us that David spent in the in the house of of Saul it, it reads real quick in the scripture it reads in about a chapter but it covers about uh, five to seven years, depending on when Goliath was, uh, was killed and David started, um, you know, serving in his house. I want to back up to, uh, to chapter 18 and, and remember, rec- uh, remind you of a couple of things that it says of David. This is after he's defeated Goliath and he's now in the, the court of, of uh, Saul. You remember the, the real problem comes when Saul hears the women singing the songs about Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. Now, one of the reasons that that's uh, of importance is because back in uh, chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, Israel is uh, commanded by the Lord to go kill Amalek, the Amalekites, and to destroy everything, destroy the king, destroy the the animals and, and everything, and Saul disobeys. Now, you may remember that the Amalekites were the ones that were the terrorist organization when Israel came out of Egypt some 400 years before. And, uh, and God said, told Israel, even through Moses, that he would, would wipe out the remembrance of Amalek. 
and make sure the, Amal- uh, the Amalekites uh, would not be known anymore in the earth. Well, that's who Saul refused to kill. He refused to kill the king of Amalek, and he kept the, the, uh, the animals and stuff to make sacrifices and so forth. Well, that messed up God's plan. He finally got it done, and he got it done through David. But that messed up God's plan, and so Samuel told Saul that, that uh, the Lord was taking the kingdom from him. And he says it this way, 1 Samuel 15, verse 28, I think it is. He says, uh, I'm gonna, God said that he's going to give the kingdom to a neighbor of yours, a man that's better than you. And he said there's nothing he could do to change it. Saul tries to, to implore or beg Samuel not to, not to let this happen and so forth. And, and he tears uh, Samuel's robe, grabbing hold of him, trying to, trying to beg him. And that's when Samuel says, just in the same way that you've torn my robe, God has torn the kingdom away from you and says that about a man better than you. And so that causes De- uh, Saul, some years later, we don't know exactly how many, but some years later, Saul now is looking for whoever is going to take his place. He knows it's been prophesied. He knows it's coming. And so when he sees David fight Goliath and when he sees that the, the hand of the Lord is upon him, it causes him a problem. And especially when the people start recognizing it as evidenced by the, the women singing the songs about David and his, his victories. Notice in First uh, Samuel 18 verse 9, after Saul hears the song, it says, Saul eyed David from that day forward. Verse 12 says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and it was departed from Saul. Now, there's every reason for Saul to be afraid of David. I mean, not only is this kid willing to go out against Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, with a, a sling and stones, winds up cutting his head off because he knows the, the name of the Lord. He said to Goliath, you may remember, you come to me with, uh, with swords and spears, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Well, obviously, he knows something about God. He knows something about fighting in the name of the Lord. So when Saul sees this, he's got every reason to be afraid of him. It says in verse 14 that David behaved himself wisely in all of his ways and the Lord was with him. Now, we don't know how long this period of time is. It's anywhere from five to seven years that this chapter is going to cover. And it doesn't tell us much of what happened except that David's name grew great, which means he won more battles and and was held in high esteem by the people. Notice again in verse 15, it says, that Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. I want you to get that. Saul is afraid of David. Skip with me over to uh, verse 29. This is after the, um, um, Saul starts chunking spears at David's head. Uh, it says in verse 29, Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. It goes on to say in verse 30, Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass that after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by now, chapter 19 tells about how that Saul and, and David really start making a, a pact and a covenant together. And remember that Saul, at this point in time, Saul has been, uh, um, well, at the time that David goes out against Goliath, Saul has been reigning for 25 to 27 years, which means Jonathan is 40, maybe 42 years old when he starts, uh, when his heart is knit toward David and starts making these covenants with David. There's a great discrepancy between David and Jonathan But Jonathan recognizes that the hand of the Lord is upon him. He recognizes that David is supposed to be and is chosen by God to be the next king instead of him. So before we get too far away, please notice the character of Jonathan. Jonathan's going to say later on 
that Saul knows that that's the case, that David's supposed to be the next king. He knows the, that, that, that David's supposed to be the next king. And he'll even be David's second in command, his right-hand man to help him. Jonathan's character is to put the things of God first, just as David's is. Only one that's missing in the story is Saul. So it tells us that, uh, that Jonathan tried to, um, to talk uh, Saul into to not being David's enemy and so forth. Chapter 19, verse 10, it says that Saul, uh, well, this is where he throws another javelin or spear at David's head. Here, this is the third time now. And David fled and escaped the night. And then Michael, Saul's daughter, which is David's wife, lets him out through the window. Now, notice verse 18. It says, so David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah. Ramah's a good place to go. And told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwell in Naoth. Now, um, I really want to cover, see if I can cover the first four years of David's running and fleeing from Saul. Because it's a very important time in his life. It shows us some things about David that are negatives that could have brought about his failure, his complete failure. Just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean it's always going to work out. Because there's faithfulness involved, there's obedience involved on the part of the individual. A lot of times people think that once they're called of God or once God has spoken to them about something, that it's going to happen no matter what. Well, it will happen no matter what if you keep yourself in the things of God. You keep yourself in the right position and the right character. You walk in love and keep yourself in uh, walking in his ways. Nothing can stop it from coming to pass as long as you're faithful and obedient. But a lot of times people fail to realize the plan of God for their lives because of their lack of faithfulness. Because they won't obey. Here's where David starts to get off track, and it almost cost him his life. It said, David fled, verse 18 again, and escaped and came to Samuel. Now, Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets of Israel. So he had a double role. He stopped being the judge of Israel when, they, when he anointed Saul to be king, because that's what Israel wanted. They said, we want to be like other nations, give us a king. So that's what they got. And so Samuel then stops being a judge, the last of the judges, and starts being the first of the prophets. And it says that he came to, to where Samuel was and told him all that Saul had done. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in a certain place, Naoth. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. And behold, it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. Now, I want you to notice how God protects this kid. By now, he's probably 22, 20 to 22 years of age, something like that. He's been in the king's court for five to seven years. He's the, uh, the greatest warrior, has won the greatest battle in Israel's history. I mean, he's got a lot of things on his resume, even as a young guy. But I want you to notice, he's let the palace affect him. He's let the palace change him. First place he goes when he's in trouble is goes to Samuel. Good place, good choice. Here's why we know it's a good choice. Saul sent messengers, verse 20, to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. Now these messengers have to be soldiers. So the soldiers go to take David and Samuel, who has a school of the prophets there apparently of some type. These prophets are prophesying, speaking by the inspiration of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is there in that place where Samuel the high priest is. High priest and prophets. And so these soldiers start prophesying. And so when it was told Saul, verse 21, he sent other messengers or other soldiers and the same thing happened to them. 
Now, I don't know how many he sent, but I would imagine there'd be more than one or two, don't you think? It would seem to me that to send a company enough to make sure you get the job done, and all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord comes on these people, and they start prophesying, they recognize it's the hand of the Lord, and they forget about what the king told them to do about David. They're just caught up in the presence of the Lord. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied too. I wonder how long this could have gone on. But it changes. It says, verse 22, Then he also, then he went also to Ramah, that's Saul, and came to a great well that is in Sichu. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth and Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. Now that hadn't been there for a while. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord departed from him when he disobeyed God uh, earlier on in his, uh, in his rule, during his rule as king. Now the Spirit of the Lord comes back on him in a different way. But you remember, this is also what happened to him the day that he was anointed to be king. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied in the same way. Now he's going back to something that had happened maybe 27, 28 years earlier. Same experience, same work of God on him. So it says, then uh, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah, and he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they said, is Saul also among the prophets? So this wasn't something that came on him for just a moment or two. This is something that came on him as long as he was where the Spirit of God was. Now, if you were David, what would you do? Here, you're the guy that knows about the fear of the Lord. You killed the lion, you killed the bear, you killed Goliath. You know that if God's with you, it doesn't matter how big the enemy is, doesn't matter how strong they are, doesn't matter anything else. If you know that you're in the will of God, if you know you're doing what God called you to do, if you're walking with him, what is there to be afraid of? What would you do if you were David? Well, if this was the David of 15, age 15 or 17, when he went out against Goliath, he'd stay put because he'd know this is where I'm safe. But what does he do? Chapter 20. And David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? He tries to get Jonathan to intercede for him. And Jonathan does. But Jonathan winds up almost taking a spear to the head too. Because Saul doesn't, doesn't want any part of that. Now I want you to notice something about this. Part of what he tells the, the, the plan that they cook up, David and Jonathan. The plan that they cook up is David says in verse 6, If your father at all missed me, meaning in his court, in the palace, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice therefore for all the family. Why is he lying? Why is he lying? First of all, why did he run away? Why did he try to get away from where the Spirit of the Lord was protecting him? And secondly, why is he telling lies about what he's doing? He wouldn't have done that some years ago. It sure wouldn't have worked when he went out before Goliath, would it? What's he lying for now? Same reason he's running, because now he's afraid of a man. Why is there any, what reason does he have to be afraid of Saul? I know Saul's a king. I know Saul's got an army. He's got a lot of people, and he can command the army and so forth. But his name has already been made among the, the, the soldiers, among the army. They already know. That he's a great person. They already know the spirit of the Lord is upon him. They know that he's the man. Jonathan knows. And I'm sure Jonathan's not quiet about it. Jonathan's favor upon David is seen. Why is David running? 
And especially, why is he running away from where the Spirit of God is protecting him? He's given in to fear. I've noticed that when people give in to fear, all kinds of things, that opens the door to all kinds of things happening for them. Now he's starting to lie. Like I said, Jonathan almost takes the spirit of the head. And then Saul, skip with me over to verse 30. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, here's what Saul knows. He said to him, to Jonathan, thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. So what does Saul know? Saul knows if I don't kill David, my son, my heir, you, Jonathan, will not be king in my place. Jonathan's okay with that. Saul is not. Why should Saul be fighting this? Well, because the Spirit of the Lord has departed from him, and now he's operating completely in the flesh. Contrary to the way he started off as a real humble person, now everything is about his line and his legacy. Not so with Jonathan. So Jonathan lets David know what his father's plans are, the rest of the chapter. Then it says in chapter 21, Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech, excuse me, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king has commanded me a business and has said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. He's still lying. Why? Because he's running in fear. Can I ask you a question? Even though God does not condemn him, even though there's no mention made in Scripture of the mistakes or the sin involved and, and so forth, you think God's going to honor what he's doing? It amazes me how many times Christians think that lying is okay if it serves a greater purpose. You'd be amazed at how many religions say that, that it's okay to lie as long as it serves a greater pers- purpose. It's a, it's a basic tenet of Islam. It's a basic tenet of Jehovah's Witness. It's even part of the Catholic handbook. Now, I don't know of any handbook or any, any written materials that any, any of the Christians, modern-day Christians that I know of have, but it doesn't keep them from operating on the principle. And why do we do that? Why do Christians do that? Because they're afraid that the truth won't bring them to where they want to be. No wonder Paul had to write to the Ephesians and say, put away lying. Isn't it a shame that you have to tell Christians to quit lying? But by the Holy Ghost, Paul said, put away lying. Let, the, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor. What's wrong with David saying, Saul's after me? He knows he's going to find out where he is anyway. He knows there's a, there's a guy named Doeg here. He's an Edomite that's there in town. He knows this guy's going to rat him out. So why is he lying? Notice what else it tells us about David once he told, started telling the lie. Uh, where, where, where was I? Verse 3. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under my hand, but there is hallowed or holy bread. That's the, the, the loaves that they put on the table of showbread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, in other words, if they're not defiled, if they're clean, 
And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread. Now Jesus talks about this when uh, when the Pharisees try to, to condemn him for uh, breaking their rules on the Sabbath. He didn't break the Sabbath, but he broke their rules for the Sabbath. And he uses this. He goes back and he said, don't you remember when David ate the, t- the bread on the table in the, in the sanctuary, the table of showbread? He goes on to say the Sabbath is not for, the man is not for Sabbath, but the Sabbath is for the man. So there's nothing wrong with what David does, even though the priests are the only ones that are supposed to, uh, to eat of this bread after they replace it with new loaves. So God doesn't condemn him for it. But notice what David continues to say. Um, it tells us in verse 7 about Doeg the Edomite, the chiefest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, verse 8, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because of the king's business required haste. Not only is he lying, he's thinking that his only defense is a weapon. What happened to the sling and the stones? Notice how he's changed. Now, Ahimelech says the only thing he's got is Goliath's sword. Well, David knows what a, what a big deal that is. Apparently, they're keeping it as a, as a symbol of, the, of Israel's great battle, great victory over the Philistines. So he takes Goliath's sword. But why is David so interested in the sword now? Notice how his attitudes change. He's not worried about coming in the fear of the Lord. He's not standing before Saul like he stood before Goliath and said, Look, I didn't have anything to do with me, but, but Samuel anointed me with oil. He anointed me to be the next king. If you've got a problem with this, take it up with God. You think that would have worked? Well, Saul might have tried to kill him, but could he have done it successfully? Not if the hand of God was on him to be king. Not if the prophecies about David being the king of Israel were true. But we always want to try to help God out, don't we? That's what Abraham and Sarah did. They tried to help God out with Ishmael. Sarah gave Abraham Hagar, her handmaid, and Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, came about. And that's worked out wonderfully. Because the Arabs and the Jews are now best friends, right? Every time we try to help God, it messes things up, folks. If God's given you his word, if his word is not strong enough and sure enough to come to pass, don't think for a minute that you can help him along. So I'll skip ahead a little bit. Uh, the sword of Goliath was given to David. Doeg the Edomite does rat him out. He does tell Saul what happens. And as a result, Saul sends soldiers to kill Ahimelech and all the priests. Now, the soldiers won't do it. But Doeg the Edomite does. He kills 85 of Ahimelech's priest family. Now, these are the people that are of the line of Eli. You remember the story uh, about when Samuel was a young boy? And Eli's sons were priests uh, conducting the priesthood, and they would uh, take advantage of the people. They were uh, doing all kinds of things, stealing from the people and, and molesting the women that would come to the sanctuary and so forth. And God was mad because Eli wouldn't do anything about it and, and spoke to Samuel. And Samuel prophesied to Eli that all of his family, the, the whole family, his line of the priests, would be killed, would be wiped off of the face of the earth. Well, this is one of the ways that it happens. There's only one person that escapes. His name's Abathar, and he comes in to play with David a little bit longer 
uh, a little bit further down the road. But then David replaces him with somebody else. So everybody is done away with, just like Samuel, Samuel prophesied. But because David ran to Ahimelech, he cost, and he says so in chapter 22, he says he's the reason why 85 of these priests, as well as everybody else in the city of Nob, was killed, along with the cattle and the, the herds and all the animals and so forth, because David ran to Ahimelech. I still can't figure out why he tried to go to him. What's he looking to him for? He's already got sanctuary with Samuel where the presence of God is keeping the soldiers away from him. What's he running for? It's going to say later that he's running because he's afraid. So it says in verse 10, after he took the, Goliath's, uh, took the bread and Goliath's sword, and David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. For fear of Saul. Now notice the difference. We'll see another couple of verses. Well, let me skip it a little bit further. It says, uh, the servants of Achish, uh, let me finish verse 10, I'm sorry. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, if you may remember, Gath is the city that Goliath came from. What a great place to pick, especially carrying Goliath's sword. He won't have any trouble there, don't you know? Now, the people of the, the, the town recognize who David is, and they start turning against him. They start talking about that song that's apparently gotten around. It must have been a top 40 hit. Because when the women sang about David killing his 10,000s, that's, that's uh, something they know of too. Verse 12, and David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Here's the guy that wasn't afraid of Goliath. He wasn't afraid of any of the enemies of God. He was the one that stood up and said, how is it that these enemies of God, the ones that are defying the armies of Israel, aren't being dealt with? And now he's afraid of his shadow. He's afraid of everybody. He's afraid of Saul an ungodly king. He's afraid of the king of Gath. Not even the king of the Philistines, just the king of Gath, just the king of a town. Like a mayor of a city. Now he's running from everybody. And so he changes his behavior. He acts insane. He changes his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his fiddle fall down upon his beard. Now that is certainly dignified for a future king, don't you think? Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man that is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Chapter 22. They, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when the brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Now here's the thing, here's the significance about this. He's run to several different places because he's afraid. He finally runs away into the wilderness. And that's where God starts dealing with him. That's where things start working out. He runs to the cave of Agilum, and the first thing it says is 400 people, people that were disaffected and people that were broke and people that were in trouble of their own, they came and God starts building an army in the middle of a wilderness, not in town, but in the middle of the wilderness. Another thing that happens is when David starts getting alone in the wilderness, he begins to write psalms. He wasn't writing psalms when he was in the court of, of Saul. He stopped writing psalms from the time that he left the father, his father's sheep to go against Goliath. We have no record of any psalms that he wrote in the time that he was in the, the king's court. But now he gets out in the wilderness and he starts writing psalms right and left. For example, Psalm 56. Let me read a couple to you. Psalm 56 
to the chief musician upon something of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. This goes back to chapter to verse 10 of chapter 21. David arose and fled to Achish, the king of Gath. Here's what he said. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That had to be after the fact. Not while he was there and not what took him there, but after he realized this isn't working. I'm going to have to act crazy to get out of here. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. His attitude is changing. Now he's not being afraid anymore. He's getting alone. He's getting with just him and God, reminding himself of the things that God told him. He's getting solid again. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps while when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O, the, o God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into a bottle, and they, are they not in thy, in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. He didn't know that when he first ran there. But now he's looking back. He gets into the wilderness and he sees God's got a better plan. It's time to quit being afraid and get back to where he used to be. Folks, there's about a two-year period of time here that almost cost David everything. A misstep that God didn't step into the way. He didn't send Samuel. He didn't send somebody else and say, Nope, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Thus saith the Lord. He's expecting David to operate according to the wisdom that he gained when he was a youth. Verse 9, Psalm 56, verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Can you see him changing? Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? He also wrote Psalm 34 after the acting crazy experience let's see if i can pull that one up real quick a psalm of david when he changed his behavior before abimelech that's abimelech is a um, um, a general term it means uh, my father the king in other words it's talking about somebody whose kingdom was given to him down the family line which would be akish when he changed his behavior before abimelech who drove him away and he departed here's what david said i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You've heard this one, haven't you? This is when David was escaped from Achish. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. When did he start seeking the Lord? After he got away. Not before he went there. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth him. He's back on track. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. He realizes he must have been talking fear. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto thy cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Keepeth all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and they hate the righteous. They that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Now David's out in the wilderness again. He's where he's by himself. Where he first found God to begin with. In the fields of his father, with his father's sheep. Now he's back on track. You know it's an interesting thing. I've noticed through the years that people that start off strong in faith, a lot of times their circumstance, many times it's the comfort that comes as a result of what they believe for. Sometimes it's other reasons, but I've noticed that as people get older, a lot of times they lose that boldness in faith that they had as young people. I think that's something to be protected. I think that's something to be grabbed, grabbed and held on to. And it, it's, it seems that, and I don't know if this is true in every case, sometimes it's comfort that turns people away, and sometimes it's just trouble. Sometimes when people stand for a long time, once they get over the hump, they don't ever want another battle in their lives. Once they defeat their Goliath, they want to retire. You've got to be careful about that. Because God wants strong men and women. He didn't want somebody with a glorious past. He wants somebody with a great future. Amen? So it says in verse 2, chapter 22, verse 2, And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. That's a good group to start with. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Then David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Now, this is something we don't know if this is the right thing to do or not, but you can see David's concern for his family. I'm sure he's thinking, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, Saul might try to get at me through my parents. So I need to make sure that they're safe. I can't drag them from wilderness place and cave to cave and stuff like that. So I've got to make sure that they're okay. So he sends them to Moab where they would be safe. Now, we don't know one way or the other whether that's the right or the wrong thing to do, and I'm not trying to pass judgment on that. I respect the fact that he cares about his parents. But then the Bible says, and the prophet Gad, verse 5, the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Harith. Turn with me over to Psalm 63. Here's something David wrote then when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou God, uh, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where, there no, where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. 
when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul follows hard after thee. Thy right hand upholds me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. And everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. When David gets in the wilderness when it's just him and God, he gets back to where he was. Now you see his young, his young person, his teenage character coming back out. For some reason, and I don't know that I have the answer for it, but for some reason he lost that. He got to looking at men and who men were rather than keeping his eyes on who the Lord was. And it almost killed him. Um, rest of chapter 22 is the story I've already told you about Doeg the Edomite ratting him out and where he was and the, the priests, uh, Ahimelech's family and the people of Nob being killed. Um, Abathar escapes and comes to uh, to where David is. Now, chapter 23, let me run through this real quickly. If I can get through the 23rd chapter, I think I can, but there's some verses I need you to see. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, if you notice back over in chapter 22, verse 5, it says that he's got a prophet with him now. Apparently, this prophet Gad is somebody that's traveling with him. Samuel is staying back at the place that he was, where the school of the prophets was in, uh, at Ramah and Naoth. But now there's apparently someone that David has with him to inquire of the Lord for him. And this, uh, we don't know much about who Gad is. The, the, uh, the little bit of information we have about him is what uh, is told us about the story of David. But apparently God provided David a prophet for the things that he needed to inquire about. So Gad, uh, apparently, it says the Lord told him, but we assume that's through the prophet, tells him to go and, and rescue the people from, uh, from the Philistines and from the attack of the Philistines. So he does. And uh, then uh, uh, he delivers these people. But now he knows the Lord tells him that, he, that the people are going to rat him out even though he's def de uh, defended them. So it says in verse 12, Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. This is where Psalm 54 comes in. I think it's a long one. I won't read the whole thing. No, it's a short one. Never mind. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, does not David hide himself? This is when they revealed where David was. Save me, O God, by thy name and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye has seen his desire upon man enemies. Folks, I want to make a general statement here. I don't want to spend a lot of time with it, but I want you to understand, David did better when he was in the wilderness than when he was in the palace, both Saul's and his own. He did better when he was out, on the, out in the wilderness, not living a comfortable life, not having built some fine place, and that kind of stuff where he had his eyes on the Lord and not other things. I wonder if that's not true for most of us too. 
I don't think that means we can't have the blessings of God. But I think it is instructive for us that we shouldn't let those blessings turn our heads. Saul, verse 8, calls all the people together for war, which means Saul is now trying to get all of Israel turned against David. Um, it says that uh, David departed in verse 13 out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbear to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds. Most, of, most likely that's caves. And remained in, in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. Once David gets where God wants him to be, God protects him. It's a good argument for staying in the will of God. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And said to him, here's what Jonathan's still on track. He's still trying to get the will of God accomplished. And Jonathan said unto David, fear not, for out of the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knows. That's why Saul is trying to kill him. He wants to be the line that the next king comes through. And it says they made a covenant. I, I guess that means they strengthened the covenant. I don't know why they'd need to make another one. So it, I guess it means they strengthened it. Um, it tells that Saul chased after uh, David. Verse 25, Saul also and his men came to seek him. And they told David wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded their land. I wonder who was behind that. The only thing that caused David to escape, the way that God delivered him in this case is that the Philistines came and tried to attack Israel from another front, and Saul had to leave, chasing, leave off chasing David and go after the Philistines. Verse 28, Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went after the Philistines. Therefore they called the place, name of that place something or other. And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds and in Gedi. Turn with me to Psalm 22. Here's what David writes. And that you may recognize this. This is a psalm that's prophecy about Jesus on the cross. This is when David was encompassed or encircled about the armies that Saul had brought with him, which apparently was a great number. I think that's why it says David called all the people to war. He took the biggest crowd that he could get. And they've got David encircled. The whole mountain is, is circled or encircled. And it says in verse 20, chapter 22 of Psalms, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And, my words, and from the words of my roaring. O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, am not silent. Apparently, he's really afraid this time. This is the closest call he had. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted in thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. This word that's used for worm is a special type of worm that was crushed for the, and the blood was used to make royal uh, scarlet and royal uh, garments and, and so forth. It was illegal for anybody else to use it because they were so rare. 
In other words, it's a, it's a type of Jesus being crushed for the, uh, the blood, his blood being shed for the sins of mankind. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Now David's talking about the, uh, the armies of Saul. But this is a prophetic word talking about the Sanhedrin that circled Jesus and offered him up for a sacrifice. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me unto the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell or count all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Now David's talking about the, the situation he's in. But God is inspiring him to say things that refer to Jesus. And you can certainly see him on the cross in these verses. Uh, verse 20. Verse 20. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. The unicorns is a, a wild bull. This word that's used anyway. I will declare thy name unto thy brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he has done this. Also in Psalm 18, I won't, talk, I won't take time to read it, but Psalm 18 is another psalm that David writes when he's delivered from um, uh, Saul. It's a little bit longer, so I won't go through it, but you can see for yourself that, it's, uh, that it was written at, these points in, at this point in time. My, my point is very simply this. It took really difficult situations for David to turn around and get his eyes off of men and, and what men could do to him and get his, himself back over in the right place with God. Now, did, was it necessary for that? I mean, some people are going to look at the sovereignty of God's issue and they're going to say, well, see, God made all this stuff happen so that David would trust him again. Was it God's fault that David stopped trusting him? And could David not have recognized the situation with Saul early on? He said, man, I'm going to need to stand as strong against Saul as I was against Goliath. It was David's choice. Just like it's your choice and mine. It's always our choice. Whether we let the circumstances change us. Whether we let the circumstances affect what we look at. Whether we let the circumstances affect what we fear. The Bible says there's only one thing to fear and that's God. 
And that's not fear in a bad way. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord makes safe. Fear of the Lord will deliver them that trust in him. David had to get back to that place. And every bit of the time that David spent keeping busy, doing what God told him to do, either becoming king or being king, David was a perfect type of Jesus. But it's when David let himself get his eyes away, turned away by the circumstances that surrounded him, that's when he got himself into trouble. David recovered himself and realized that he was looking for a safe haven that somebody else could provide for him. And what he needed to do is find the safety that he found in God. That's the only place that there is real safety and real protection for any of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a stronghold for us. David found strongholds in the wilderness. But the word of God says that it is a strong tower for us. The righteous run into it and are safe. Thank you, Father, that every word that you've spoken, whether written in Scripture or spoken to our hearts, is true. And we don't have to lie. We don't have to fear anybody or anything about it not coming to pass because it's impossible for your word to fail. It's impossible for your word to be broken. Everything that you have spoken to us, Father, shall come to pass in Jesus' precious name. So we choose to keep our eyes on you. We choose to fear you and not man. We choose to fear you and not circumstances. We choose to give respect to the truth of your word, a sure foundation for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.